Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here on a sunny day in a rather deserted city of Westminster as once again we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on the air today by Steve Cargill. Steve is a director at RM Electrical Group, an electrical distributor to the UK and wider world. Steve, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Good afternoon, Scott. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure having you, Steve. Now, um, the purpose of this podcast, as I say, is to gather a variety of different perspectives on the topic of leadership. So first and foremost, what I'd like to understand is what that word leader actually means to you personally. It's a great question, and it's um, probably one of the reasons why I was interested in being involved today in this this podcast you're putting on. Um, Yeah, it's a a very good question, and and leadership means something different to... um, most people mm. and most p- businesses, I would suggest. So probably the best way of me describing it is what it means for me personally and what it's meant to me over the years that I've been at work. And invariably, um, I've always found that the strongest leaders that I've worked with or for or been a colleague of have always been those ones that unequivocally, absolutely convinced you they knew where they were going. Mm. Well, now, whether that was the case or not, at all times, it's uh, it's probably a subjective question, but that's certainly the overriding principle for me. And how would you describe your own leadership style, Steve? Um, I'd suggest more by example. I'm not a qualified. Mm. Um, I'm not an academic. Is the word I'm looking for? Um, I fell into the role that I currently fulfil within R and M as one of the shareholding directors. Um, after a few years working for other people and gradually got myself into a position whereby I was able to start a business within a business and become very successful. But had it been based on an interview process for an existing business, perhaps I wouldn't have got the interview, which I'm sure many people in a similar situation to me would um, would have a similar story, story to tell. It's quite interesting that um, it was. It took a little bit of time before you kind of realised that you would be going on and occupying a leadership position of your own, I suppose, and running your own business within the business, as you mentioned there. What would you say sure. was the uh, the turning point uh, which made you think, yeah, this is the road that I want to go down? Yeah, I mean, for years I'd always been involved um, with family members and seen firsthand people that owned their own businesses and the difference between my uncle, for example, who had his own very successful insulation contracting business versus my own dad who worked for Ford Motor Company all of his working life. Mm. And whilst they both had very successful careers in their own right, one of them became a multimillionaire and one didn't. And um, that was kind of the overrider for me um, early doors because I obviously wanted to provide the, uh, the best standard of living for my own family that I possibly could. And it was evident that that's only ever going to be available if you're prepared to work for yourself. And if you're prepared to work for yourself, then by uh, by default, you need to be a good leader if people are going to follow you where, you, where you're expecting to go. So, yeah. Yeah, of course. It's hugely important to be able to uh, get people on side and really inspire them and get them to go with you. Um, you've talked about your, your father and your uncle there, uh, Steve. Um, are they maybe examples of people who've inspired you or is there anyone else that sticks out that's maybe been an inspiration to yourself throughout your career? 
Yeah, there's been a number of people that have inspired me throughout my career. Obviously, um, a default for me has always been my dad because um, mm. obviously from a very young age, like most uh, lads and dads, we had a close bond and um, it was always important for me to please him as I was growing up. And um, as I was getting older and becoming an adult, I wanted to to make him proud of me. And I think I, I've managed to do that over the years. But that in itself has always been a very, very good thing for me because I've always had that reference point and at times I've often asked myself questions along the lines of, you know, how would he handle this or how would my dad handle this or how would so-and-so handle this? Um, but more recently in uh, in my working life, there's been uh, two or three individuals that have had a significant impact on me. One was a gentleman by the name of David Hill. He was an academic chap who had inherited an electrical contracting business in the Midlands from his dad. And whilst he wasn't what you would normally associate with a charismatic leader of a business, he was an intellect, uh, intellectual individual who was passed on a successful business but grew it massively from when he took the leadership role within it. Not necessarily because he was the sort of guy that people were desperate to follow, but he was what I would term a talent spotter. He knew that in order for his business to grow, he would need to get talented people around him to, to help him. And um, he seemed to be unbelievably good at doing that, selecting the right people in the right roles at the right time to make his business succeed. And it's a principle that really left a, left a lasting impression on me. That was, uh, that was one of the most influential. The second most influential is currently the chairman of the R&M Electrical Group. He actually started the business mm -hmm. getting on for 40 years ago, a gentleman by the name of Brian Robinson, who again, by his own admission, probably wouldn't put himself down as a, an academic necessarily. He came out of the Royal Navy as an electrical engineer, decided once he left, he'd start a small electrical wholesaling business and that business has now grown into a multinational business, which turns over worldwide over 100 million. Um, now, he was a real inspiration to me because obviously he gave me the opportunity to start the business that I now run within the R&M group. Um, but the way that that happened would probably surprise most in as much as I had a business plan um, for an idea of a business that I thought would really work. And I, and I went to Brian Robinson and based on just his gut instinct, really, he was prepared to uh, to support me and, and to give us a go. Now, it might have been the fact that he had three months left on the rent of a warehouse locally that, <laughs> that was stood there mm. empty. And he probably thought he had not a lot to lose if he gave me three months to have a go at it. But he did give me that three months. And in that three months, we made uh, enough significant progress for him to believe in what we were what we were attempting to do. And it's that kind of um, faith, if you like, in your own instincts mm. that Brian really sort of passed on. It was a, another another light bulb moment, really. I think those examples are really interesting, Steve, because they highlight two really, really important things as a leader. The first thing is that leadership comes in many, many different faces. Some leaders are really good at sticking their head above the parapet and being leaders of men, as it were, but others are much more effective at going quietly about their business, as you say, maybe spotting talent and getting results, as it were. Um, interestingly, as well, with that second example is that willingness to try things as well, that willingness to take leaps of faith. And I think as a leader, I mean, it's an important part of uh, development 
development, isn't it? Being willing to try things, being willing to get things right, but also every so often get things wrong and then learn from those experiences and take them forward. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's it's an overused term. Many people say you can fail your way to success. And I think most leaders have have embraced that uh, as part and parcel of their business life, for sure. I think it's um, looking at it as sort of winning or learning, isn't it? I mean, you you have to take a lot from failure and be willing to sort of take that forward and use that to improve. And I think when people are afraid of failure and try and shy away from taking risks, even calculated risks, they can ultimately suffer in the long run for that, can't they? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Yep. Absolutely. And um, if we think about your experience, uh, Steve, um, in, of course, getting your business within the R&M group um, up and running and the inspirations that you've had, if you were to give um, a message of advice to that next generation of aspiring leaders within business, what sort of advice would you give them? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a great question. What The sort of advice that I, that I would give to, it depends, because everyone's starting from different places. But for, my, mm. for, for me, if I was looking to give me advice, based on the kind of important stages of my career prior to coming to R&M, everything that I did, that I'd sort of previously done up until that point, if you like, was kind of the groundwork and the learning process required for me to get myself in a position whereby I had a tangible idea. I had the drive, I had the enthusiasm, I had some industry knowledge, I had some good people that respected me and wanted to work with me that I brought here. Um, but it's really a question of understanding the fact that up until the point where I sat down with Brian Robinson, put my business plan to him, at any point previous to that, if I'd had the same conversation, maybe uh, the business that we run today wouldn't, wouldn't have ended up as successful as it is. And I think that's largely because I may not have had the groundwork in myself as an individual to have been able to recognize the opportunities quite in the same way. I don't know if I've explained that very well, but what I would say to uh, to anyone who is an aspiring leader is work hard, learn absolutely everything you can from everybody because everybody has got a story of their own to tell. You can learn something from everybody and to never give up. Are obviously the uh, that's one of the overriding principles for me. But more than anything, there is a process for everyone's success. And if, if we're terming success in, as a leader in business, um, if that's what we're using as our as our reference point, then what I would say is for anyone to be a success in, in business, they, they need to have done sort of a certain amount of groundwork on themselves, self-improvement. And that's just a question of learning, learning about your trade, learning about your industry. And um, yeah, you're never giving up. Absolutely. I think it's it's important to recognise that learning is something that you can do even when you're in a leadership role, but also that self-motivation, that drive, that willingness not to give in, as you say, that's something that has to come from within. And there's a huge importance there as well in, as you're developing especially, surrounding yourself with positive people and picking your mentors carefully, because if you surround yourself with people who can get the best out of you, you're also going to get the best out of them in the same way, aren't you? You got it, Scott. You described it a lot more eloquent than me. That's, that's exactly right. And if we think about the uh, the future um, as well, Steve, before we do uh, wrap things up on uh, the programme today, um, do you give me an idea of what you imagine the next year will hold for yourself and for the business and what you hope to achieve in that time, particularly in navigating the current COVID-19 situation and the difficulties there, but also in looking beyond the pandemic and future ambitions as well? 
Yeah, well, that's a very interesting point because we just literally, the end of April, closed off the most successful year that we've had in business. We've been going for 15 years and whilst we're part of a much bigger organisation, my own smaller limited organisation within it, um, we tipped over the 16 million mark for the first time at the end of last month, um, which is just a great achievement for all concerned. And uh, March and April weren't as disastrous anywhere close to that we thought they would be. Um, predicting the future from here is crystal ball gazing slightly because we're no one's certain of how things will look when we come out the other side of the pandemic. What I can say is, is during this period of time, we've diversified massively. We're now one of the biggest organizations selling PPE of all things, um, not at the expense of the NHS, but into the commercial sector. And, um, I think the ability to diversify coming out of the pandemic is really what's going to separate those that succeed from fail. Um, but my own aspirations for, for this particular business um, are continue, to continue much in the same vein because last year we were 45% up on sales, 40% up on gross profit. Um, we added some unbelievably good members to the team. Uh, we opened a branch out in Holland, uh, which has been a roaring success, which has been serving the huge market for the data center new builds out in mainland Europe. Um, we're going to expand on that. <laughs> We've also moved into off-site and prefabrication in a big way. We're going to continue to develop those services to the construction trade. And, um, and yes, yeah, some prudent financial management, some good enthusiastic sales leadership from the team that we've got here and uh, fingers crossed it won't be as much doom and gloom as perhaps we initially thought. It certainly seems that there's a lot of ambition um, even amid the uh, uncertainty and it's good of course that the business as well is also taking on uh, board that innovation as well because those that innovate, those that adapt are really going to be in the best position to seize on the opportunities that will come as a result of this and there will be some of them because there will of course be more market capital out there as well. Um, we are just about um, out of time uh, today, Steve, but I've got to say it's um, been a really insightful experience having you on the uh, the programme and also an absolute pleasure. And what I think would be fantastic for the listeners as well is when we start to see sort of the fog lifting in the next few months, we could perhaps have you back on the air with us and revisit this and just catch up on how the business is doing. Um, but once again, thanks ever so much today for coming on and taking the time to speak with me. It's been fantastic. Thanks very much, Scott. I've really enjoyed it, Steve. Thank you. That was Cheers, Steve. Now. Cheers, Steve. That was Steve Cargill, director at RM Electrical Group. Um, coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City during his football league career, but also he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat trick in the final of a World Cup after his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff, and that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, 
Uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership uh, well, I do. I do understand clearly. In all walks of life, leadership is at the top. is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident 
I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And, um, uh, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and so I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to 
played and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited but just had a, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you in two. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, 
uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. On this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it's... It, uh, um, and again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just 
luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leading show. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah. The answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players, we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant 
that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not. Uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.